Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, your backstage pass to revealing conversations with stars, creators, and industry leaders on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, we're sharing two conversations from this year's Variety Business of Broadway Breakfast. It was held earlier this month at The Pool, the restaurant and event space in Midtown Manhattan, and it was sponsored by City National Bank. That morning, I had a great conversation with the three leads of the buzzy Broadway revival of Merrily We Roll Along, Daniel Radcliffe, Jonathan Groff, and Lindsay Mendez. You'll hear that later in the episode. Up first, we've got a lively discussion with five producers behind some of the biggest shows of this Broadway season. All that, right after the break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. City National Bank doesn't generalize, they specialize. From entertainment and food and beverage to real estate and tech. Their dedicated team of bankers has strategic solutions for all of your unique industry needs. Work with a team who knows your industry while getting the scale of their parent company, RBC. City National Bank. See what personal can do for you at cnb.com. We're back with an enlightening panel from Variety's Business of Broadway Breakfast, featuring five producers who have shows on Broadway this season. Kristen Kasky, Patrick Cotillo, Greg Noble, Leslie Odom Jr., and Fiona Rudin. 
The moderator for this talk is Eric Paikush from City National Bank. Here's Eric. You are each uh, producing a number of exciting new shows and revivals this season. And for our time together, I thought we'd explore a little bit about your personal journeys as producers and also talk about some interesting um, aspects of your shows this season. And even though, Kristen, you're sitting far away from me, I thought I'd start with you. You're up first. Um, Hi, everybody. Kristen Kasky. You are a very experienced producer, having done a number of shows on Broadway over the years, including Parade last season, which you produced with uh, Greg. And this season, you're producing the new musical Gutenberg, as well as a revival of The Wiz. Um, everyone on this panel, and most everyone in the audience, knows that it's a challenge to make a show work both creatively and economically, especially in the current economic environment. Um, let's talk about The Wiz and talk about your um, involvement in that show and bringing back that show uh, to Broadway as a revival and kind of your history with it. Sounds good. Um, and I do just want to, when you talk about experience, I definitely had a moment of knowing how long it's been because I want everyone to know that I played chess with Sammy Canold when she was nine years old and she beat me. Um, and now she's got her Broadway directing debut. So that's a beautiful journey to, uh, to watch. Um, for my producing partner, Mike Isaacson, and I, um, being involved in supporting The Wiz is, assen is essentially a dream come true. We've been working on it for about seven, eight years now. And with our partner, Brian Moreland, we wanted to find a way that honored um, what it would mean to have this show back on Broadway. And it felt right to take it out of town to Baltimore, where it began almost 50 years ago, um, and to build the momentum and remind everyone of this show before it came into New York. We also are led by the incredible Shelley Williams and are doing a great amount of work on the book by Amber Ruffin. And it's also the debut for choreographer Jaquelle Knight. So all of us involved felt it, it was at a time when the runway for Broadway is, is getting shorter and shorter. Having the opportunity for a run around the country that allowed them to check in on the show and really um, essentially try and get it right as we build the momentum. And I will say the last thing is, um, as someone who presents in theaters across the country, there is something incredibly valuable about those audiences being able to see inside the process prior to a show getting to Broadway. And it was really lovely. We just had an event at the Governor's Mansion in Maryland where um, they had the cast perform and the presenter there was able to thank those involved for providing a tax credit for Maryland, which again, when you look at the ecosystem of our business and what we do, is incredibly valuable and important. So it's been quite a beautiful journey and we'll see what comes from here. So Great, thanks. And, and that is a unique, I mean, it is a unique journey for a show to come in the way that The Wiz is coming in and, and building momentum, and especially in the environment we're in, uh, making sure that audiences are built up along the way so that when you get here, it's. It's, it's a setup for, to That's succeed. That's the hope. And exactly. if it works, then maybe it's a blueprint for others. That's great. Great. Uh, Leslie, welcome back to Broadway. So many folks here and, and audiences know you uh, primarily as an actor um, and a singer. And last saw you on stage on, uh, in Hamilton. And this season, you're returning both as an actor and a producer on Pearly Victorious, the revival. Um, congrats on the opening last week and the strong reviews. Um, Want to talk a little bit about how you got involved in the show, um, why this was the project that brought you back to Broadway, and, um, and why you joined on uh, as a producer as well. Um, 
I mean, great writing is what brought me to the piece. You know, you're looking for, I was just looking for something uh, uh, harder than what I'd just done. You know, Lin-Manuel gave all of us just the best writing we'd ever been given. And so, you know, just, anyway, took a second to uh, find something else that was, you know, that, um, that I felt as passionately about. Um, and I just wanted to be a part, my, along with my, my agent here, Kevin Lynn, you know, we've just talked about um, uh, my strong desire to be a, a full contributor. You know, I, I just, I don't want to have to leave parts of myself outside the room anymore. Uh, I want to, I want to help. I don't have to be the loudest voice in the room. I don't have to be the only voice in the room, but I do want to seat at the table. I do want to, I do want to say what I think of the poster. I do want to say what I think of the commercial that you're putting out. I want, I want to contribute. And, and I just have to say that Jeffrey Richards and Hunter Arnold have um, just been tremendous mentors and teachers for me, my, me and my wife, you know, have come on and joined the producing team. And so I just really feel like I'm learning so much and that um, I've been able to, to bring a value to, to the other side of the table, to, that, to the producer's circle, as it were. Great, thank you. And, and, and speaking of the writing that, that brought you to the show, I mean, I, I saw the show, and some of the writing, I mean, the show was written in 1961, uh, but some of the writing feels like it could be written today, um, unfortunately, in some cases. But um, is that something that, that you felt strong about in terms of bringing those words to the stage and, um, you know, uh, bringing Aussie's words, um, you know, to new audiences? Absolutely. I mean, I, I thought I knew what this piece was about, but as we all know, you know, uh, plays, we read them all the time, right? We read them in our eighth grade, we read Shakespeare, we read Moliere, we read August Wilson, if you're at a really good school. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you, and you think you kind of know what it's about, but they're meant to be seen. They're meant to be experienced. You know, which is why we have this educational initiative where we're gonna bring in school kids to see Pearly Victorious. My six-year-old has seen Pearly Victorious three times, she loves it. You know, so anyway, but, um, I just was saying that to say, I thought I read this play 30 times before we started rehearsal, and there, were, there have been so many discoveries as we started playing it, as I watched Carrie Young uh, embody Ludie Bell, as I watched <laughs> Billy Eugene Jones discover, uh, and, and Kenny Leon uh, just led this company of actors and also our creative team. Um, so beautifully and brilliantly. It's just, it's just been the most liberated, joyful space I've ever uh, been a part of creatively. Great, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, Greg, uh, this season you're bringing an enemy of the people to Broadway. Um, I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about the background of that show and how that show came together in terms of casting and producing it and, and having that all, you know, the journey for that show to come to Broadway this season. Totally. Thanks for having me. Um, well, Patrick and I are doing Enemy of the People together and getting Jeremy Strong to Broadway was really hard. Um, I, it was a big tussle. We were at Sardi's. I broke my shoulder, but um, it's going to be worth it in the end. Um, 
I have a long relationship with Sam Gold, uh, and we had a project uh, that didn't come together for last season or two seasons ago. And we we're trying to figure out sort of what we we're going to do or if we were going to pivot. And um, Jeremy, Amy, Herzog, who will be writing the adaptation, and Sam all have a long standing friendship that goes back to their college days. Um, actually, Patrick also intersected with them at college, too. And it was one of these discovery processes that were a little unnatural. It was sort of a series of green lights that sort of kept pushing us in the right direction, which is, you know, we're in the business of pushing against that usually. It's usually a series of no's that we have to figure out how to get around the mountain on, and that, that wasn't the journey on this project so far. We haven't started in earnest. Um, and uh, these three collaborators, you know, who hadn't been together since their college days had been trying to find something to work on, and in revisiting the Ibsen text, I think everybody was sort of astounded by the relevancy, sort of in the same way that we're talking about the Pearly text. When we revisit some of this work, um, you know, this is about a, uh, a, a, a man in a small town who is trying to do right against the powers of a government that is trying to hide things. And when you go and revisit this text, you know, Sam Gold, you know, led our process by saying, you know, we actually need to turn down the energy in this so it doesn't look like we're doing this in response to this moment, right? But actually that we're excavating new areas of this play. And Amy is in the midst of this really extraordinary draft and the idea that we're sort of bringing these college friends back together around this play that we're gonna do in a really intimate um, and slightly immersive environment is, um, is deeply exciting. And it's been, it's been a pretty, it's pretty amazing series of green lights on this so far, which has been great. Terrific. We'll, we'll come back and talk about collaboration a little bit more um, and, and how that all came together as well. And Fiona, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more as well. Uh, this season, you and your team are lead producing How to Dance in Ohio, which is a new musical based on the award-winning documentary that was on HBO in 2015. Uh, the musical follows a group of young adults with autism as they prepare for a spring formal dance. And some of the themes that the show um, explores our connection and exploration um, and characters dealing with their hopes and fears. How did you get involved with this show? Were you involved with the, with the documentary when it came out? Um, and how did you, you know, get involved and bring that to Broadway this season? Um, well, thank you for having me first. Um, and yes, How to Dance in Ohio uh, is very much a passion project for all of us on the team. It marks my first time lead producing as well as my two producing partners who are here, Sammy Lopez and Ben Holtzman. Um, in addition to Sammy Kanoltz, the directors are Maite Natalio, our choreographer, half of our cast, our book writer, Rebecca Grimmelosic, uh, our composer, Jacob Yandura. This is all of our Broadway debuts, and with that is a lot of extra enthusiasm. Um, as you can well imagine. And uh, I first became involved in the project. I actually know the filmmaker, Alexandra Shiva. And at the time that I met Ben and Sammy, who were already involved in producing How to Dance in Ohio, uh, I was looking to join a team to, because I knew I wanted to make the leap into lead producing, but was acutely aware of how much I didn't know and what a, a giant step it was to go from co-producing to lead producing. So I wanted to align myself with people I really trusted on a project that I was completely enamored with. 
And my own producing philosophy and investing philosophy is that if something almost sounds like a bad idea, that's the thing I'm the most interested in because it means my brain is actually having trouble processing it and it means it's something really new. And um, I'm very keenly um, interested in new stories and telling the stories of communities we haven't heard from before and lifting up people who haven't had the opportunity to be on a Broadway stage. So when Alexandra Shiva, the documentary filmmaker, told me her documentary was being made into a musical, I was literally stopped in my tracks. I was like, okay, wait, I've seen this documentary. It's magic, it's beautiful, but it features these autistic young adults, this group counseling center in Columbus, Ohio. It does not scream musical to you right away. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more engaged I was. And once I met Ben and Sammy and the, you know, Jacob and Rebecca, I knew this was a project that just really had to be lifted up and had to be made. And so here we are. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Patrick, you kind of sit in the middle of a lot of folks up here on stage. Yeah. Um, uh, you have or will be collaborating with folks. And this season, uh, you're working with Kristen on Gutenberg Musical. Uh, you're working on uh, with Greg and Enemy of the People, and you're also producing the eagerly anticipated revival of Merrily We Roll Along, uh, which opens next week. Um, tell us a little bit about how collaboration and strategic partnership factors into your producing uh, rationale and how you put your projects together. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, a lot of the things that have been said are, you know, I think. It, it, Working with your friends is really nice too. You know, I went to school with Alex Timbers, um, and you know, I worked with Kristen on American Utopia, and that's how we met David Byrne. Uh, so Here Lies Love, you know, came about during American Utopia. That show has been sort of kicking around for a while, and for you know, just because of the challenges of it, it had never you know gotten to Broadway. So I sort of took that on with Alex and David Byrne and Clint and you know my amazing partners. Um, and then uh, Alex with Gutenberg, um, you know, projects come together sort of in different ways, which I found really interesting too. I did not uh, expect to be producing four shows this season. That's not generally my style. Um, so, you know, Gutenberg kind of came together. Josh and Andrew were talking about it. it was just something that Alex had been kicking around and he sort of took it to me and Kristen and I was obviously, I'll work with Kristen anytime. Uh, and then Enemy of the People, um, yeah, Greg and I separately sort of, you know, I had, you know, had said I would do anything with Jeremy Strong, someone I really wanted to work with, uh, so I got that call from Bizzetti, and, uh, and he said, would you do this with Greg, and I'm like, sure, um, and I did, I went to school with Amy as well, uh, and then Merrily was really a bucket list show for me. Um, it's just something that was deeply meaningful. And um, so uh, Jeff Romley is my producing partner on that. And uh, he and I, it's just something we've been wanting to do for a really long time. And so it came together uh, with the right cast at the right time. And it's, uh, it's, been, it's been really special. Great. Do you do you feel one of the one of the things that we discussed on our pre-call is that there's a lot of collaboration happening with kind of this generation of producers and yeah. um, is that something that is has been developing over the past couple of years and you see continuing going forward um, in terms of the way each one of you kind of works on some of your projects? Kristen, you can start on that one. Um, I also I start from a partnership of over 20 years with Mike Isaacson. 
And I think that at the forefront of everything we do is collaboration. And we're all here because most of us grew up loving theater and we decided we'd do whatever we had to do to figure out how to spend our life in it. Um, and it's not easy. And it's especially not easy. Um, there's right now with often talks about fundraising and the various uh, challenges, but we're all still here because we all believe in it and we all believe in um, how vital it is. And I think that means there's great opportunity for collaboration. I think there's great opportunity for listening within every show and finding ways to expand what we do. And I'm very excited about that because I don't, there was, there's always been collaboration, but I think amongst the producing community, I am in awe of what we'll call this younger generation, not only their commitment, but just how many there are of them and their real passion for what they're doing and commitment to this craft. And I'm very optimistic about the future. And Leslie, did you see that working with Jeffrey, you know, an experienced producer, in terms of mentoring with you on that piece? Have you felt that as well in terms of what he brings and how you work together? Yeah. Um, I think that... Um, The people that I respect most, my, my kind of people, took what we just lived through these last handful of years and really took that inward journey and came out different. I mean, can you imagine? We see them everywhere, but the people that came out of what we just lived through meaner, more hateful, looking to draw the lines deeper in the sand after we, what we just lived through, it's, a, it's astonishing. But anyway. People are going people. Um, but yes, Jeffrey, uh, um, I, I didn't know him before this, but, but what, what, we, what the community, I think, found as the community looked around and, you know, the, the events of what we lived through shook us by the shoulders and we realized how, um, you know, as you're looking around to your left and your right, we know it's, it's time to promote people, but nobody's ready to be promoted. We haven't invested in the pipeline, you know? So yeah, you'd like some, we'd like some more directors of color, but nobody's really ready. Nobody's been, so anyway, uh, people like Jeffrey, Jeffrey on this production, uh, yes, he's been, he's been, focus us up, Crystal. He's been focused on the, on the pipeline, on making sure that, um, I'm not ready to lead produce, you know, but he, yeah, he opens the books and he shares, he shares, he's promised that he, sh he would share everything with me that I wanted to know and I wanted to know everything. So, uh, so yeah, he's concerned about, about the pipeline and, and, and Hunter is as well. Hunter, you know, I, I had a meeting with, with Hunter and, and his producing partner and yeah, you know, Hunter, the meeting was not about me acting in more shows. The meeting was, you know, I want, you know, Hunter was, inviting me into this circle, into this community. He said, I, I would really love to make sure that you and Nick, that this is not the last show that you and Nicolette produce. So anyway, uh, I, I'm, I am also deeply um, encouraged uh, by, the, by the growth and the commitment to developing talent, looking for talent, and, and expanding what this, what these rooms can look like and, and how many people are, how many different kinds of people are represented at these tables. It's really, it's really beautiful. That's, that's great, thank you. I think to follow up on that, I mean, both on the, uh, the creative side in terms of the shows and also the audiences that are, that are coming into Broadway. I mean, I think those are happening at the same time. Um, and Fiona, I know with your show, that's happening with the 
um, the story and the subject matter of your show and the audience that, that you are you know, looking to expand audiences, um, people within the autism community, but also bringing that story to a, a, a broader community that isn't necessarily maybe used to seeing that uh, on stage, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and I'll just back up and I'll say that um, I totally affirm what Kristen's saying about the younger generation who I'm so dazzled by. I mean, my two partners, Ben and Sammy, and actually I'll quote a line from Sufs that Rachel Sussman is producing, the younger at the gates. Um, I feel very optimistic about the rising class of producers. Um, there's the Theater Producers of Color. That's a group that Sammy is one of the founders of. And um, I just, their enthusiasm and the kind of stories they want to tell and how much they're investigating all of our processes it gives me so much hope for Broadway that there, we may be entering another golden age. So I know I'm an optimist. And for Ohio, yeah, I mean, it's um, a story that through its specificity is very universal um, with the, you know, the seven central characters being autistic and being portrayed by seven autistic actors. Um, it's definitely opening the doors for representation for people who are neurodivergent, not just autistic, to see themselves represented on stage and how that just kicks the door uh, open wider. I don't like to think of it as inviting a specific audience in, but just making the door ever wider so that our Broadway typical audience is welcome as well as people who've never been invited. and even more broadly about um, disability. I mean, uh, it's a huge part of our population that we don't really talk to on Broadway. And, um, and how do we incorporate that, not just on stage, but as part every part of our producing practice? Um, so we tried very diligently to practice, you know, no stories about us without us, so bringing in um, autistic creative consultants, autistic assistant music director, an autistic graphic designer, autistic associate producer, so that from the very beginning, our team was made up with the people whose story was being told on stage every night. And um, I have to say, it's changed all of us. We all are very different humans, as well as producers. Um, we say all the time in our very small P3 office, <laughs> Um, how we're going to take the practices we learn from doing Ohio into every one of our shows because accessibility is better for everyone. Like we would do this little survey for you know the actors, and our neurotypical actors got more out of it even than our neurodivergent actors. So it's just those little lifts that um, make for a better space for all of us. Great, thank you. And, and Patrick, following up on that as well, I think we talked about this. I mean, when you're looking at audiences, Gutenberg's audiences are uh, maybe skewing younger than traditional Broadway audiences. Um, and then with sure. uh, with uh, Here Lies Love, you have an all-Filipino cast, yes. which is another area of representation for the shows that you're working on in terms of who's on stage, um, and, you know, what people are seeing in the, in the theater, and what type of people are being invited in to kind of you know see representation that they may have not seen previously. Yeah, I mean, that's literally the only reason that I do this is for new audiences. And I feel like, you know, it's about the work that you put out there. Here Lies Love, for example, uh, I think the typical percentage for AAPI audiences on Broadway is 6%. Here Lies Love is 20%, um, which is, you know, and growing, which is pretty remarkable. 
Um, and I like, you know, the things that I do, I'm more of a, I mean, I love theater, but I'm more of a pop culture guy. You know what I mean? I like movies, I like music, I like comedy. And so the things that I do tend to have an intersection, like Here Lies Love was a lot of David Byrne fans came to that show and then they got served up a little bit of, you know, Annie B. Parson modern dance, right? And, um, you know, a story. And I think uh, certainly that, you know, that's the case with Gutenberg. Um, and, you know, Alex and I did a show called Oh Hello, which was really crazy. And uh, I think I was the only person that would produce it. Uh, John Mulaney was not known then. Um, and I remember the Schuberts called us closing weekend and they said, we just want to confirm that Oh Hello has an intermission. I said, nope, it's 90 minutes, no intermission. And they're like, how's that possible? I'm like, why would I lie about that? And then they're like, well, your bar sales are averaging more a week than Phantom. And that was, that was a one-act show. There was no intermission, right? So I was like, you know what? You should add sellers in the aisle. You should you know, open up more bars. And um, you know, it was definitely an audience that had never been you know, to Broadway before. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, what, that's what excites me the most. I mean, I only produce shows that I want to see more than once. And as far as collaboration, too, I think, you know, like I said, I've never done this many shows at the same time. And one of the things that I've learned is, one, when you're really busy, you don't have time to overthink. You know, you just kind of have to go, which is, you know, when you're working on one thing at a time, sometimes it's really like you get inside your head and you just, you know, you just, you know, but when you're busy, you just kind of have to go and you have to trust your partners more, right? And I think that's where collaborate, working with your friends helps. Um, but, you know, that's where collaboration is really important, not just with your producing partners, but with your marketing teams, your press agents, you know, you just kind of have to surround yourself with the best people and trust them to do their, you know, to, to do what you've hired them to do and trust, and um, yeah, so I mean, I think collaboration is really important in that way, too. Um, yeah. Great, thanks. And, and Greg, it, some of the, the areas you discussed, are, are some of your projects artist-led versus commercial-led? What, what kind of projects do you look at when you're looking at um, a new show to bring to Broadway? Um, yeah, I mean, I when I started in the business, I started co-producing, um, and the first show I ever worked on was A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, which is now a decade ago, led by John and Sue, who are at Fancy Table 2. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I always say 10 years later, I would have never said yes to being part of that project, because, like, every single thing had it was going against it, right? It was, like, based on IP that nobody knew, starting in a city that nobody really started in anymore. It was, like, opening sort of at the wrong time, right? Like, but I fell in love with the art and had said yes to it, and, of course, it was um, sort of an unexpected success story, um, th thanks only to, to their and, and others' leadership. Um, but then riding high on that, and at a young age, I was like, I need to do something to follow this up, because that was so good, and I have these investors who want to go again, and, um, and I should probably not use names. Uh, and so I... But I was, so I, I went after two like things that were surefires, right? I was like, well, this is a big star in this fancy play. It was at the booth. It's nine years ago. Um, <laughs> it was short. Um, and I was like, people will totally want to see this star in this play. And, but, and every time I tried to read the play, I fell asleep reading the play. I was like, it doesn't matter if I don't like it. People definitely want to see so-and-so on stage. Nobody wanted to see so-and-so on stage. <laughs> Right, like, and, and that happened a couple of times, right, where I was like, well, this is a surefire, and this is going to be the thing that pays the bills. And every time I've said this is going to pay the bills, it totally has not paid the bills. It's actually <laughs> just created a lot of bills for me. Um, so I, I'm much more interested in, you know, in, in betting an artist, many of whom are, are in this room, where it's just like, what is the thing you want to do 
Lear, Whitney, Sammy, like what, what can we be doing next? Like what is the thing that excites you? Because I think if we're, and it's where the, it's where Enemy came from, right? This is entirely built by Sam. And I think our job as producers is to like keep the thing on the rails as much as possible, but just give Sam the most room possible to make the thing that he's gonna make. And, and we all know it's like, particularly with a director like Sam, I think it's what makes him so like viscerally exciting. It's like, we don't know what we're gonna get. Sometimes we're in meetings and we're like, oh, we're on a different journey here. Uh, and that's like so really exciting and it's gonna change 18 times before that point. I think if we're not getting into projects that are completely artist led and we start to like try to follow the money, it's not gonna work. A thousand percent. Yeah. No, I agree with you and I think that we're seeing that with a lot of the projects that each you are working on. Uh, so I think we've come to the end of our time and I'm gonna leave it on that note. Uh, those were some really great conversations and appreciate your thank discussions you. on collaboration and representation. Thank you. Uh, wanna thank all my panelists for sharing their time. Leslie, Fiona, Kristen, Patrick, and Greg. Thank you. That was our producers panel at this year's Variety Business of Broadway Breakfast. After the break, merrily we roll along. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. City National Bank doesn't generalize. They specialize. From entertainment and food and beverage to real estate and tech. Their dedicated team of bankers has strategic solutions for all of your unique industry needs. Work with a team who knows your industry while getting the scale of their parent company, RBC. City National Bank. See what personal can do for you at cnb.com. And now here's my conversation with the stars of Merrily We Roll Along, Daniel Radcliffe, Jonathan Groff, and Lindsay Mendez. You three just finished your second week, I believe, of previews, a Broadway previews in Merrily. Um, you did it for a few months uh, down at the workshop, which has like 200 seats, and the theater you're in now, the Hudson, is closer to 1,000. Um, how does that change the experience for you? How, is that, how are you finding that it changes for you? Oh. <laughs> I guess I'll take it since you. Um, I cried a lot. Uh, well, I cry a lot generally, but I, I, I cried a lot on our last day at New York Theater Workshop because I was mourning to me, like the off-Broadway experience was so special to be right there with the audience. Um, and I was shocked and pleasantly surprised. I mean, when we heard the overture for the first time at the Hudson Theater on Broadway, the full overture of Mary Lou We Roll Along, which is one of the great overtures of all time, in a Broadway theater, it felt like, oh, right, this show was written to be in a Broadway space. Mm -hmm. And so the, the workshop experience was essential for us because we got to learn about each other. Our entire cast was essentially in one basement area sharing one bathroom. 
Uh, so we got, it was incredibly intimate and we got to really blend our experiences together. Uh, it was very bonding, but to bring the show to Broadway, to look up into the audience at the end of our time, you know, our dreams are coming true, feels like this is, this is where this show was, was written to be. Are you finding that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. As, as Jonathan was mentioning, Broadway carries a certain amount of weight. Are you finding that Broadway audiences come in with a different set of, are they reacting differently? Are, are they, do they have different expectations of the show? Like, is the, are you finding anything different there? I mean, I don't think, there's, there's a couple, there's certain moments that I feel like I've been really fascinated to see, like, get different reactions. Like, there's a couple of, like, there's a, there's a, awkward laugh early on, which I really enjoy because it's a very uncomfortable laugh from the audience, but it didn't happen off Broadway. And so there's like little things like that that are kind of intriguing as to why, but generally, I mean, the thrill of, um, I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, um, I, I, it was a privilege to do it off Broadway in that smaller space and, and to be able to, you know, really like look into people's eyes and kind of have the like feel their reactions to the show in a very visceral way um but no i mean it doesn't I, it so far it doesn't feel like we've lost too much of that like it still feels like you can you know i can uh, when the lights came down as we we're leaving the stage the other day i can i could like hear someone kind of sobbing quietly and so you know you still feel like you're kind of right there with everyone that was me <laughs> it might have been you <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, this feels like a, a significant moment for the legacy of Stephen Sondheim and for this show that everyone really believed just was never going to work as a fully satisfying production. Um, I know among the three of you, you either didn't know Sondheim very well or you didn't know him at all, but uh, the last time we spoke, Lindsay, you reminded me that you were in a production of Saturday Night, which is an early, early uh, musical uh, by Stephen Sondheim, and it sounds like he came all the time to that show. But tell me a little bit about your experience with him, you know, re-experiencing the show that... Yeah, uh, um, he would so sit ago. on the steps every night and watch the show and just cry and laugh. And um, it was really sweet, the nostalgia he had for that period of his writing where he could really just step back. I mean, I think about if I had to watch myself 15 years ago, I would want to die. Um, and so I just, I think it's so cool that, I mean, at that point in his legacy, he could really see that work for what it was at that time, which was his first show he had ever written. And I, I would only hope that he would feel the same sense of, of pride and joy to see this show have this moment um, 42 years later and to hear the audiences just absolutely fall in love with it. It's, it's really, it's remarkable. I so wish he was here to see it. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, theater is something that you've come back to regularly over the years, ever since you did Equus first in London and then here. Um, and I was thinking about Michael Gambon recently because he just passed away, who was, of course, a great theater actor. And you knew him. You worked with him in the Harry Potter movies. And it made me wonder if you and he had ever talked about theater. Had you talked about doing theater work and, and either um, before? I, don't, I mean, I saw doing... him do um, Falstaff in, in Henry IV Part oh, wow. too, and which was incredible. Um, and, I mean, I think we, we probably did. But, I mean, the, honestly, the, the wonderful thing about Michael was that he really wasn't an actor that, like, you talked about 
acting with much. Like he, he was much more interested. Like he, his true passion was restoring uh, 19th century Italian dueling pistols, um, and so like that. That was like he would talk about that much more. And he was just funny and silly, and like wasn't somebody who. It was actually sort of part of his. I think brilliance was that if you just watch him, you'd be like, wow, he. Like he would be messing around and like trying to make me laugh, whatever. Like right up until the word action, um, and then as soon as it, you know, as soon as you were rolling, it, it, there was just, it, you know, he could just give this performance. And actually, I, you might watch that and go like, wow, he like messes around a lot. But I think it was a, it was actually like a very skillful way of. He knows that he is at his best when he is like the most relaxed and the most playful. Um, and it was, you know, his ability to like switch it on was, you know, kind of second to none. And, um, but yeah, I don't think we ever talked like, we might have talked a bit about stage, but not, not in a way that has, the, the Italian dueling pistol stuck more. Um, <laughs> is, is there an actor or someone else in the business who you think of as kind of a mentor specifically for theater? I mean, Richard Griffiths, yeah. I mean, I think because I did Equus with him for so long and just watching the way he approaches theater and approaches it as a, a a process of constant and like relentless refinement of like you're never done the last show should be your best and that was kind of like his attitude was and especially like in a show like equus or in a show like merrily there is so much to dig into like the material is so rich and so deep that you're not gonna get bored by continuing to mine it ever um and so yeah i would say he's somebody that i still i i look up to hugely and uh, Jonathan, you have done a lot of screen work over the last few years, but of course you got your start in theater here and here on Broadway. Do you, what do you feel like you learned getting your start in theater and then working on Broadway that you have since carried with you and that has really served you in the work that you've done on screen? What, what, how does that overlap for you? I, th I mean, I was 21 years old when I did Spring Awakening and I did that show between Off-Broadway and Broadway for a total of two years. And I remember when I was auditioning for that part, I was like the wild card option for that role. And I remember talking to my dad on the phone the night before the audition and saying, I know I can't do this right now, but I know that I could do this if they give me the chance. Like I could, I could see it, even though I knew it wasn't happening in my body with ability wise. And so through the course of those two years, I felt like I learned how to act. Um, the, the eight shows a week, this is like the actor's medium, this is where we get better. And I like from the beginning of that to the end, I never went to college, I never formally trained. I don't think any of us did really formally train. Uh, and so the on the job of being able to do theater in New York and being able to do great material is the thing that turned me into an actor and changed me from the inside out. And it was, it was amazing career-wise, but also artistically that experience. And it also changed my understanding of what I wanted to say yes to next because Spring Awakening, I mean, I, I came out of the closet after two years of Spring Awakening because it built, gave me this backbone and taught me confidence and taught me about myself and allowed me to express myself. And then I really considered moving forward with theater. It's almost like a religious experience because you, I'm not really, I mean, I was, gave you Sunday school for like 18 years, but I'm no longer religious, but uh, 
in that you repeat the same thing over and over and over and over again, and it can't help but imprint on your soul in some way if you're really open to it. It, it can change you from the inside out. It's like a yoga practice or going to the gym or something. So I've always been really intentional about what to choose or what to be a part of. And with Merrily, it's like endlessly a gift. The, the material of the show is you can just, you can never stop. You can never stop digging. It's been, it's been life-changing off-Broadway and we're still continuing to find. We've also got Katie Rose Clark and Crystal Joy Brown over hey. here from our cast. Um, and we all, as a group, just like dig into this material every day and it, it's changing us singularly and also collectively. And that to me is what the theater has done. One of the things that people have long considered sort of one of the hurdles for uh, Merrily and for its ability to connect with audiences is this backward chronology because you meet these people at their worst and you're watching the dissolution of a relationship that we as an audience haven't seen yet. Well, like we haven't had a chance to invest in yet. And I wonder how you, did you think about that strategically as actors in terms of figuring out how you were going to uh, you know, create these roles for us and introduce us to these characters in ways that made us both understand that they were at low points in their lives and also made us want to find out more about them. Like, can, can you tell me a little bit about, about that? Yeah, Lindsay? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I, think, um, I, I think it all kind of uh, found itself as we worked on the show and worked on our collective relationship together, um, both as characters and as humans in the space, um, because I just think that that pain, that love, all of that stuff is, is there. It's frayed away, but it's still at the core. And we always were really searching for that in that, in the beginning of the play, that the audience can feel that there's, um, that it's not just sniping at each other, that it's not, that there's like deep pain there. There's something to kind of uncover. Um, that's at least, I, I think that's, that's all three of our goal. Um, so that, you know, even though you might not understand exactly what's happening, that there's something happening that's worth investing in and understanding that it's quite complex. And, um, and so we've been really interested in, in, you know, bringing, bringing the show with us to the, top of it, you know, and um, the more we do it, the m deeper it gets and the more we're able to kind of have that with us. I, I'd also say that I think the, the going backwards thing is also one of the great joys of the show because yeah, you, there's maybe that you get thrown into something at the beginning and you're kind of having to like f figure out who all these people are and, and you know, w what the relationships are, but also, you know, I think people figure that out pretty quickly and then you get this... Um, they sort of moments function like twists in the show where because you've seen where something ends up, you then like the, the genesis of that moment when you see it later, you feel the audience reacting to that. And it's a really, you know, you don't get that in other shows. So there's something, there's obviously that is always talked about something that can kind of alienate people or can, you know, is a problem. But I really think it's one of the joys of the show and one of the, you know, is tracking these people backwards in time. And it's it's really it's it's not obviously the show is not a thriller in that sense but they function like sort of there's something almost film noirish about like starting off with a you know a body and then going how did we get there 
Yep. This is... Uh, There's one not an actual body, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, no Maria big changes. Fried the director, Maria Friedman, has uh, directed Merrily a, a few times now with a couple of different casts, and it seems like it seems like she has sort of unlocked the code of uh, really finding the emotional resonance of this show. What for each of you was kind of her big lesson uh, that was imparted about the show that uh, opened it up for you, did you find? I mean, the thing I was, uh, to jump in quickly, and I'll mind you real quick, because I remember I very distinctly talking about the scene with our time and you know, to go back to your crying for a moment. <laughs> um, you know, we were, the first times we were rehearsing that scene, not just you, actually, I was also, like, in bits. We were all, like, <laughs> really, like, feeling the emotion of that scene. We were crying a lot. And Maria just said, like, this is all great. This is what should happen in the rehearsal room, and I'm glad we're getting this out of our systems now. But on there, the happier you are, the more joyful you are, the more, like, of a gut punch it is to the people watching. And it's that's that, you know, I think that's, that's something that's sort of true that rings, rings through about that for the whole show, yeah. yeah. The, further, the further we go on either end of the spectrum, like the more we have, like the longer the road and the more we can like play with it. And so I think also she was really, you know, she's like, don't be afraid to be ugly, you know, when sometimes love gets ugly. And I think we've explored that a lot too, yeah. I think uh, partially because she's an actress first and has done so many Sondheim shows and knew him so well, there's like a level of specificity mm -hmm. and detail in the in in this in the scenes and in the songs. She we rehearsed the musical like a play. She sees every solo if there's another person or a group of people on stage as a duet or a group number. She's so. Like it was always relationships, 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 relationships. Like the every lyric and every sort of nuanced turn, she to this day, like even getting notes like two days ago about a specific word in a specific lyric after we've already done the show for many, many, many performances. And so she's got, she's she's unique, unique? Uh, in that's, that she- what, what an in-joke. <laughs> uh, she's unique in that she will never stop digging. And, and, and the material invites that. But like you said, she's directed this now for over 11 years. And she's still in the audience laughing, supporting, Noting, digging, yeah. continue. She's never, never stops. It's it's inspirational. It's also really interesting to to hear how people talk about other versions of this show. Not in the in the specifics of the productions that were done, but just generally people talking about it as like a story about the business and success and you know fame and and rich and you know wealth and all that. And it's just, ne we've never, those are things that come up in the show, but it's just simply a story about friendship. Like, that's it. And, you know, the trials and travails of that over a life. You, all three of you have talked uh, quite a bit about how close you have become over the, over the process of working on the show and you become friends yourself. Um, and I wonder if we could just, could you unpack for me a little bit about why you think you click so well as actors? Like, how would you describe, how would each of you describe uh, the other one as an actor and oh how they work? God, Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay's the vocal captain. 
to start. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I don't, it's probably not good for us as professionals to reveal how much of the show Lindsay has to remind us to do every night. Um, um, but, um, yeah. Funny, I've, I've never done a show where I, I see Mary and Charlie, but at the exact same time I see Dan and Lindsay. Sometimes I call them Dan and Lindsay on stage. He has done that once, yes. yes. Um, Very loudly in front of an audience. <laughs> <laughs> Screamed my full name. Uh, <laughs> But I, I mean, uh, Lindsay and I have known each other for like 17 years or something, yeah. but since we both moved to New York, we were both, well, funnily enough, Equus, Greece, and Spring Awakening all happened in the same year. So even though we didn't like know each other closely at that time, we were orbiting each other. Um, and then Lindsay and I met through like theater stuff. And I felt the same way about Lindsay as I did about Dan, not even knowing Dan, but watching his choices as an actor and his commitment to the theater, you can kind of like, we all get a sense of who he is without knowing him just because of you're a public person and we've watched you grow so much as an artist. And I always felt like, I feel like that guy's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like he's doing, I feel like he's acting because he loves to act, not because he gives a fuck about fame or money or anything. I just like, he just felt like a guy that really loves to act. It's simple as that. And same as Lindsay, Rin Lindsay really loves to act. And it shouldn't be surprising or hard to find, but it does get to a point, I feel like professionally we can all relate, where it's hard to find people that actually love their jobs. Because we're all ambitious, we all wanna succeed, we all have goals. And then when those goals are met at a certain level, you have to, you, then you begin questioning like, do I actually like doing this? Or was it just about achieving Broadway or achieving whatever? Um, and I think that the three of us have a genuine passion for what we do. We really just love acting and we love the communal aspect of the, of the theater. And so we get to act and commune with each other. Yes. <laughs> You did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't say enough about these guys. Or I, and it is the same thing as you were saying. Like there is something really cool and unusual about being able to like look at the people on stage and see both their characters and the real people and find them both like emotionally really uh, helpful and resonant for whatever scenes we're doing. A lot of the time, it's really, um, it's really beautiful and unusual. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think we all like, I don't know, we all started pretty young as well. I feel like there's a, there's a mindset of you don't, you don't do it for this long unless you really like doing it, I think. Like you have to at least be into it on some, and also I do think you, you're some of the few people that I don't have to, uh, you know, definitely. And, and I'd say honestly more on film sets, there's, a, there's a, a jadedness that can creep in among a lot of actors, but uh, I definitely like, I don't have to hide how, how much I love doing this job around you. Like it's, you know, Jonathan is one of the most excited people to do the show every, every night. Every night. Including the audience. You when know, we come off at the end of the show, he goes, I want to put my pants on and do, do it again. again. Um, and he would. And he would and do it's, it again. And, that's, and it's just, and then Lindsay's both. like, I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they're, they're both, I feel so lucky to, to get to share the stage with them. And, and honestly, like our entire company, it's a really, 
I I have a moment on stage generally like every night with somebody where I just watch somebody doing like a piece of acting that I've never got to see them do before because I'm like seeing it from a different point in the wings or something or so I I notice something where I'm like God I love these people <laughs> like I love this group so much I love that everyone is still like you know doing that Richard Griffiths thing of like refining and refining and refining and 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 that we're all there for each other you know it's live theater and stuff goes wrong sometimes and I've never felt so like we're gonna be okay and get through that as with these two and, and with this group of people and with that our time is up uh, this is a great place to wrap it up thank you thank you all thank three you so of you much. yeah Cheers. thanks for being here thank, thank you. you very much that was daniel radcliffe jonathan groff and lindsay mendez the stars of merrily we roll along closing out variety's 2023 business of broadway breakfast if you enjoyed these conversations here on Stagecraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help. Or tell a friend about Stagecraft. Find past episodes and subscribe at all the places you get your pods, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, a great place to find more theater for your ears. Until next episode, find me on Instagram and Twitter at Gordon B. Cox. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. City National Bank doesn't generalize. They specialize. From entertainment and food and beverage to real estate and tech. Their dedicated team of bankers has strategic solutions for all of your unique industry needs. Work with a team who knows your industry while getting the scale of their parent company, RBC. City National Bank. See what personal can do for you at cnb.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.